Jesus knowing what was going to happen. On that Palm Sunday, he wept over the city. For the days, he said in Luke 19, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will love you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon the other. And they were slaughtered and it was finished in 135. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In the most prophetic section of Daniel, chapters 6 through 12, we continue our look at Daniel 9 and start today seeing how the Jews and those left behind during the seven years of tribulation are led astray by the Antichrist. Let's pick up as Pastor Brogy looks at the times of the Gentiles and the second coming of Christ as he returns to get his bride. Now we saw that there are two important distinguishing terms in the Bible. One is the fullness of the Gentiles. The other is the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles speaks of political uh, domination. It started with Nebuchadnezzar and it's still happening to this day. After Nebuchadnezzar carried the Jews away into captivity, when they returned to Jerusalem, they didn't come back to, to, to set up a throne. They built a temple. They established an altar, but not a palace. In fact, there has never been another king that has sat on Israel's throne, ever. Why? Because they had been under Gentile oppression. And even when they were born again as a nation, so to speak, reestablished, the prophet said they would become a nation in one day, May 14th, 1948. It ought to be burned into your psyche because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Even when they became a nation, the Gentile nations continue to oppose them. The United Nations does not recognize Israel's sovereignty over the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the lands and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So when will the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled? Very clearly, when the last Gentile comes to faith, it could happen today, no one knows. When the last Gentile says yes to Jesus, When the church is full, so to speak, the church meaning the body of Christ, God will say to his son, go get your bride. And then God will call a time in for Israel and the 70th week will begin. Well, with that said, let me just say this. That's all by way of introduction, all right? That was a long introduction, I know. (laughs) So what I want you to see today, we're coming now to the 70th week. The 70th week of the 70 weeks of prophecy. And if you want to take some notes, there are three simple truths I want you to get. First, the evil king or potentate who is revealed. I used the word potentate so I could get three Ps and alliterate it, all right? So there's an evil king who's going to be revealed. Verse 27, let's read it again in its entirety. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the one week, we'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now again, this next slide, the great interval, 
There are 69 weeks in verse 25, a gap of time that is unknown. It's been over 2,000 years long in verse 26. And then the 70th week will commence in verse 27. Now, during this final week, during this final seven-year period, remember, this is a week of years. So one week, one Shavuah, one seven is seven years. And we are told that he, circle that pronoun in the verse, he will make a firm covenant with the many. So we need to ask a question. Contextually, who is the he? Who does the he refer to? Well, it's no mystery. The nearest antecedent goes back to verse 26. Look at verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prince to come did not destroy the city. The people of the prince to come destroyed the city. And so the he is clearly referring to this coming prince. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel recorded that the city, which contains the sanctuary, in the city we call Jerusalem, will be destroyed by the people of the prince who is to come. Please notice, the prince will not do this, but the people of the prince to come will do it. Now, we have 2020 hindsight because we know the name of those, that people. It was the Romans. And so, in 70 AD, Titus Vespucian came in and demolished the place, totally tore it to pieces, totally uh, decimated the city and the temple. Now, how do we know that it was the Romans? Well, one history records that. This was a prophecy. This had not yet happened. But Daniel told us what this final empire would do. Let's go back to our metallic man. I know it seemed like an eternity ago, but back in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, had a vision of a metallic man. The head of gold represented Babylon. Silver represented, if you remember, uh, Medo-Persia. The bronze represented Greece. And then the legs, two legs, probably referring to the eastern and western branches of the Roman Empire. But in either case, the legs represented Rome. So he describes this metallic man. And he describes these nations in terms of what they are going to do and the characteristics of these nations ever before the nations exist. Let me read Daniel 2, verse 41 to you. In that you saw, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be divided. But it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. So he describes these different empires. And this fourth empire has iron legs. But then the iron legs turn into feet with iron and clay that really don't mix together. And it's a reminder as we studied that the Roman Empire that started incredibly strong when it's revived, it's not nearly as strong. Verse 42 says, As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and some of it will be brittle. So here in this next slide of the metallic man, we see the feet here of iron mixed with common clay. Now let's ask a question. Did the Roman Empire ever divide into ten portions? Of course not. If you know history, you know that never happens. So he's describing two facets of this empire. 
And if you remember, there is a gap of time between Daniel 2.40 and Daniel 2.41. And I gave you numerous illustrations where God does that, where in a single verse, He'll cover millennia of time. And so, no, Rome never divided into ten parts. And so, really, you see in the two legs early Rome and in the ten toes of these feet, a weakened empire of ten nations. Now, in the next slide of the animals, remember this from Daniel 7? In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel interprets it. In this chapter, God gives the prophet Daniel this vision. doesn't come from Nebuchadnezzar. And so, he tells of the kingdoms of the world from a divine perspective, and he uses these beastly characteristics to describe each nation. And again, it perfectly follows the same flow of the second chapter. And that final beast representing Rome, a vicious creature, in the end of time forms into a head with ten nations. And among those ten horns will rise up an eleventh horn, the little horn that we often call the Antichrist. There are over thirty names for the Antichrist in the Scripture. Here he is called the Prince who is to come. Now I'm going to show you that this is not some contrived interpretation that Pastor Carl came up with. The single best expositor I know who is alive who has ever lived is Jesus Christ. And as we will see this morning, this is his interpretation of this vision. So, first thing, real simple, there's an evil potentate who is going to be revealed. Secondly, there is an evil promise that is going to be ratified. Beyond the evil potentate who is revealed, I want us to notice the evil promise that is ratified. Here in verse 27, he that is, the prince who is to come, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. This verse is highlighting what the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, is going to do. The prince who is going to come is going to make a covenant with the many. Now, some of you have a translation of the Bible where it does not say the many. It just says many. And the reason the translators did that is because it just reads a little easier in English. It's a little smoother. And that's why I suggest to you that you have a modern, super-literal translation. And so the New American Standard reflects the Hebrew perfectly. It's articular. He's talking about not just a group of people, but the many, a specific group of people. And that phrase, the many, is used in other places in Daniel to refer specifically to the Jewish people. So he, the Antichrist, the prince who is going to come, will make a covenant with the many, the Jewish people, for one week, for seven years. And it's described here as a firm covenant. Now, don't forget, God predicted in the previous verse that after the 69th week, the Messiah would be cut off. And indeed, he was crucified days after the 69th week ended in 32 AD on what we call Good Friday. He also predicted in verse 26, the people of the prince to come, the people of the prince to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And it happened 38 years later, precisely as Jesus predicted. Jesus said not one stone would be standing on another when they asked him about the beautiful temple that Herod had fixed up so wonderfully. And of course, the Roman army, when the thing caught fire, wanting the spoils of war, they literally pried apart every single stone up on top of that temple mount to get all the gold and all the spoils of war. 
And it came with a flood. And we saw that expression. I define Scripture with Scripture. With a flood, it refers to a powerful army force. And Titus came with great power. And he slaughtered 1.1 million Jews. Crucified over 500, uh, 500 Jews every single day while the city was under siege. He crucified so many people, there weren't any trees left in Jerusalem to make any more crosses. And then after the city was totally destroyed and decimated, those Jews who survived remained there in Jerusalem under Roman control. Well, they got the bright idea in 132 in a revolt called the Bar Kozva Revolt to go against Rome. And so they tried to take control of the city and the Romans put it under siege again from 132 to 135 A.D. And most of the Jews died from starvation and hunger. And those who survived were slaughtered. And a few ran and fled. And the Jews from that point on were told by the Emperor Hadrian that they could never come back to the city of Jerusalem. So the emperor decided in mockery to the Jewish people to rename not only the city, but the land we call Israel. And so he called it Palestine. Now, without getting into all the phonetics, the reason he called it Palestine was after one of their enemies called the Philistines. And the Philistines were not Arabs. They were from the area of Greece. They were a conquering people. And so Newt Gingrich several months ago said there's no such thing as a group of people um, called Palestinians. And he's right, there aren't. There's no ethnic people known in human history called Palestinians. But in 1967, the Arabs began to call themselves Palestinians. And they wanted to call their land west of the Jordan River Palestine. And of course, their goal, and I'm not against Arab people. The Jew doesn't always have the white hat and the Arab the black hat. Jewish people have done evil things just as Arab people have. And we are to care for Arab people and win them to Jesus as well. But understand the prophecy that God gave centuries before when a little lady had twins in her womb he described this contention between the Arab people and the Jewish people. And so they call themselves Palestinians and they think it's their land and their right to it. Well, God doesn't say it is their land and you shouldn't call Israel Palestine. Now, in a few of your Bibles, because the Brits adopted that term when they had it under control and they called Israel Palestine. But that's very offensive to the Jewish people to call their land Palestine. Because God never calls it Palestine, not once in the Old Testament or the New Testament. At its Yisrael, the land of Israel. And so it's called in the New Testament in Greek as well. It's their land. God gave it to the Jew. He promised it to the Jewish people. Now they are to have compassion on the alien in the land. Just as they were once shown compassion when they were aliens, God reminds them of that in the Torah. But when people want to destroy them, they have to defend themselves. And so Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, on that Palm Sunday, he wept over the city. 
For the days, he said in Luke 19, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will love you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon the other. And they were slaughtered and it was finished in 135. Now, back here in this previous slide. And he, will, and he, the prince to come, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Now, this is an important covenant. He is going to do something for the Jewish people that is going to absolutely blow their minds away. He is going to pull off something that Jews right now in Israel want to have pulled off. Now, remember, 135, Jerusalem, uh, the Romans expelled every Jew. And Israel was virtually empty of Jewish people for over 1,800 years. Now, in 1880, here's a population slide, bring it up if you will. There was 25,000 Jewish people. That was the first year that we have stats. About 1,900, it had dropped to about 23,000 Jewish people. In 1948, when they became a nation, there were 600,000 Jewish people in the land of Israel. Now, what Hitler meant for evil, God meant for good. Because when the Jews, in seeking to protect their lives, fled Germany and the other nations that Hitler had controlled, they would go to other countries, including our own. It is so embarrassing when you go into Yad Vashem or the Holocaust Museum in Washington and you see these letters where our own government said no to the Jewish people. And they came in boatloads and they had to go back to their countries and many of them went to the gas chambers, but some of them went to Israel. And so the land began to repopulate. And then... On May the 14th, 1948, with 600,000 Jews and nearly surrounded by 100 million Arabs, just as the prophet had said, they became a nation in one day. Now, the population today of Jewish people in Israel is 6,377,000 people. You say, is this significant? Yes, it is prophetically significant. God said this in Isaiah 43, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. The prophet Ezekiel wrote in the 11th chapter, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses, looking at the end of time, before the second coming of Messiah, he writes this in the fourth verse of that chapter. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed. A, br a great brother in Christ, he was a British Methodist. His name was Adam Clark. He was born in 1760. I was reading his commentary this week. And he wrote these words in 1811 in reference to what we just read from the Torah, from Deuteronomy. As this promise refers to a return from captivity in which they had been scattered among all nations. Consequently, this promise cannot refer to the Babylonian captivity. 
The repossession of their land must be different from the return from Babylon. And he's absolutely right. Only a handful of the Jews, after the 70-year captivity, came back into Israel. And they came back from one central location. But God is speaking that at the end of time, He would gather the Jews from countries from all over the world and bring them back into the land of Israel. Not just any land, but the land your fathers possessed. The British government offered the Jewish people Uganda as a new homeland. They said, no, we don't want it. And had they taken Uganda, it would not have fulfilled the prophecy that God wrote. He said, I'll bring you back from across the world into the land which your fathers possessed. And then in the next verse, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. Now, as remarkable as the modern regathering of the Jewish people from across the world is, the second part of that prophecy has not yet taken place where the people's heart as a nation has been circumcised, where they have confessed Jesus as Lord. The spiritual dynamic, however, cannot take place until first the physical dynamic takes place. Before they can come in faith, God has to physically gather them into the land. And that's what Ezekiel looks at. He looks at not only the physical regathering, but in that great vision of the dry bones, he looks at the time in the future during the 70th week when they will believe in Yeshua. And what we are witnessing in our life is the beginning of the end. But the point I'm trying to make is because God knows and writes the future in advance. Here in Daniel 9, 27, he specifically knew that the people would be back in the land after it was destroyed. And so God is amazingly in our day setting the stage for the prince who is to come who is going to break this covenant again. And he, the prince who is to come, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Now, how long is one week again? How long? Seven years. So the coming Antichrist will come out of this revived Roman Empire, and he will say to the people of Israel, I will protect you. I will make a covenant with you. And the word firm here is the Hebrew word gavar. It means a strong covenant, a firm covenant. You could even translate it an imposed covenant. And it's interesting to me that both the United Nations and the European Union are talking about an imposed peace upon the nation of Israel. In either case, this coming prince, this Antichrist, will offer some kind of covenant with some very strong guarantees to it. He will probably convince the enemies, and we'll see how in a moment, that the Jews ought to be able to rebuild their temple. We know it's going to be rebuilt. We know that it's going to be there on the Temple Mount because in the middle of the 70 years, the Antichrist is going to do something very specific in that rebuilt temple. Now, if you go to Israel today and you go to Jerusalem, and I hope in my next trip to Israel, we're going to do one on Bible prophecy as it relates to the end time if we're still here. But in either case, there's a place called the Temple Institute. It's a great place to visit. And if you go there, you discover these Orthodox Jews who have reproduced all of the temple furniture, including the golden menorah. They've rep reproduced all the priestly garments. And they are training Levites. There is a lot of people who cannot identify their tribe, but there's one tribe the Jews can identify, and that's the Levites. That's a sermon in and of itself. But they are training the Levites 
how to carry out the sacrificial system that God prescribed. Why? Because God said sin brings death. Therefore, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. Now, what they don't see, what they don't understand is that the once and for all sacrifice that was pictured and foreshadowed by the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament has been completed. But nonetheless, they're going to say, we want our temple, we want our sacrifices, and the Antichrist will say, that's fine, no problem, and he will give it to them through ease, or as the King James says, through peace, he will destroy the many. Again, verse 25 of Daniel 8, we studied it months ago, and through his shrewdness, the person he's referring to in this verse is the little horn, the Antichrist, one of 30 names given to him, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they're at ease, while they're at peace. The Antichrist's peace plan will deceive the peoples of this world. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. So the Antichrist through his shrewdness, through his deceit, he will magnify himself in his heart. He will come out of the former Roman Empire. Some people asked me, someone asked me recently, could he be an American? Technically, he could because we're dealing with ethnicity here. But he would still be in terms of his ethnic groups. When God says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he's not talking about, you know, this nation, America, this one. No, he's talking about ethnic groups of every people and tribe and tongue, and he will come from the historical Roman Empire. He'll be one of the Roman people, so to speak. And he will come with braggadocious words. He will come with great plans, with a big mouth. Revelation says this, and there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. That's exactly what Daniel says. A time, times, and half a time. Half of seven years is 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So this false Messiah will come with a false peace. He will destroy the many through peace or through ease. And our war-torn, economically deprived world of that time will be ready and ripe for such a ruler. And he will come in the place of the Lord Jesus. The word antichrist, we think of it in terms of against Christ, but actually the prefix carries more the idea instead of Christ. Certainly he's against Christ, but he comes in the place of Christ. A day is coming when the wars and tribulations of this world will reach a point where humanity is at a loss to deal with them then the time will be right for the Antichrist to make his appearance. Tomorrow we conclude our message entitled, The Great Calamity. To listen again to this or any of the messages in our series on Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN15. Join us again tomorrow as we conclude our look at the great calamity and search the scriptures.